North Carolina sure is the place uh, that we call home, as my friend uh, Tony Brannick uh, brings us into uh, our final portion of uh, the three-hour broadcast, uh, moving here until 10 o'clock. Uh, Yael Osowski with the Consumer Choice Center is with us every Friday morning at this time, host of the Consumer Choice Radio Show. His program, alongside colleague Dave Clement, airs at 10 a.m. on Saturdays couple of interesting topics uh, that uh, we'll preview in just a little while with our friend Yael, who broadcasts seamlessly here to the Carolina coast each week from Vienna, Austria, in lockdown mode once again out in the center city of the country in Austria. Yael, my friend, I hope you're doing well. Did I make you miss home just a little bit uh, here with the rolling intro music this morning? Yeah, there there are so many amazing songs that uh, that I'm hearing that are North Carolina themed that definitely do make me miss it. But uh, you know, with all the planning, I think we're just gonna have to make a, a nice, uh, a grand North Carolina return trip and tour. So coming very soon, we'll see. As long as they let us cross the borders again, yeah, you, you know, did, on there. You did it once. Uh, we can do it again. And uh, next time, I think we're gonna have to twist your arm uh, to bounce around a little bit more, and we'll get all across North Carolina. Maybe we can come up with a consumer choice uh, Big Talker FM, you know, bus tour that takes us through various stops of North Carolina, where we get to enjoy, you know, just a little bit more camaraderie than we did the last time, where. We could not go and enjoy, you know, a cold beverage outside because of uh, the BS COVID-19 Chinese communist virus. Well, that's the great thing about having a bus, right, Joe, is that you set the rules on the bus. So uh, the bus could be a zone where uh, many of the restrictions that don't make sense are not applied. So I love the idea. A listening tour, we could call it a listening tour. Yeah, and uh, well, one of the ideas that we could t- stop, uh, particularly east of I-95 in the agriculture-heavy uh, land of North Carolina— is the fact that the Tar Heel State and many others like it have been pushing, at least farmers have in many instances, and you're going to be speaking with a man who knows a little bit more about the hemp industry across the country and how it is thriving. And that's kind of a preview of what you'll be discussing, at least in part, tomorrow during your Consumer Choice radio show. Explain, and what did you hear from Jeff Walling, who is one of the top hemp executives in the world? Yeah, so this is very eye-opening. I won't be a surprise to many of your listeners, but... You know, we've been involved with advocating for more lax and, and more moderate laws on cannabis. Uh, many people just assume when you say cannabis, you're only talking about people trying to get uh, stoned, you know, in the parking lot of the Circle 73 or something. But really what we're talking about is taking a plant that is found in nature, removing it from the list of controlled substances, and actually allowing people to use it not just for its medical benefits, but also for its industrial properties. And that's something that I did not know much about uh, before we interviewed Jeff Whaling, and I've come to learn a lot more about it. And uh, this actually gets me very excited. And the more research that I've done, the more I realized, you know, North Carolina has the perfect land to become a hemp champion. It has the perfect land. It has already an industry of farmers. We already have parts of the supply chain. Uh, There's a lot of different steps that North Carolina could take and really become a champion. I mean, firstly, we got to change some of the laws uh, there in Raleigh to ensure that any farmers who do experiment are not going to get arrested under under some kind of uh, crazy law. That's been happening a little bit. And everything has been opened up by the federal government, meaning uh, the state should 
start issuing licenses now. Uh, they, they do keep it rather restricted, which is unfortunate. But if you just look at the hemp plant, if you look at cannabis and hemp, you know, this is something that'll be used for everything from your homes and building materials. I mean, imagine the Cape Fear uh, Home Builders Association using hemp and you're the, they're the premier company that's got all the stuff. Imagine all the construction industry, particularly in the eastern part of North Carolina, being able to use hemp, saving money, not having to rely on Chinese imported steel. I mean, there, there's, I guess, I, I was just taken aback as to how much this stuff has evolved. And it's not just, you know, the, the beautiful cannabis leaf that we see on those uh, beautiful CBD beverages that Joe likes to chug down, but it's actually a, a great industrial product that we can use in our everyday life. Yael, now you bring this up, and of course, you know, each year around April 20th, I go back in time into history, and when we talk about hemp and the crucial role it played in the early days of America, I mean, it was used for everything, food, clothing, rope, paper, sailcloth, uh, as a cash crop, uh, and uh, the Founding Fathers, uh, you, you know, grew hemp extensively for many of those reasons, uh, along with uh, others, Yet uh, it was effectively banned. Uh, what was it? Pre World War One, nineteen thirty nine, or pre World War Two, rather, nineteen thirty nine, uh, because of a smear campaign. And uh, there are a lot of conspiracy theorists out there that talk about how big corporations and big business was the reason why hemp, the magical plant, it was banned, so many of these other uh, corporations could enjoy the fruits of uh, you know consumption across our country. Is that a conspiracy theory that is widely spread, or is there something maybe to that as far as the origins as to why this plant it was banned uh, because of special interests, special interests even in you know the early 1900s, uh, ruining the fabric of our nation? Well, Joe, there are conspiracy theories and there's public relations. Uh, <laughs> I, I think there, there definitely was a case that um, Mr. Dupont of the DuPont Company and William Randolph Hearst who owned the large chain of Hearst newspapers and cinemas. Uh, it is very true that they put together a coordinated effort uh, to really try and, you know, make hemp and uh, the broader cannabis plant, just really make it an, an enemy of the people, uh, if we could use that term, and, and really to make it demonized in the eyes of ordinary Americans. I mean, it started, and it's, it's really just because of the plant and how complex it is, and it is true that you can extract THC from most parts of it, but then again, hemp, uh, this is the portion of the plant that's going to have less than 0.03% of any kind of THC, anything that's going to uh, maybe inhibit you. So it really started from the beginning. Uh, there's a lot more research and a couple documentaries you could probably look at. It is definitely true, but this is what uh, you know lobbying and government is all about. That's why we need to have good lobbyists that actually understand that there's a need for many products and that the sole role of government should be to champion every type of innovation and every type of entrepreneur and not necessarily just to legislate for one side or another. That's that's kind of what we're seeing when we have a lot of these modern day lawsuits. Uh, I'm seeing this just as a, a modern iteration of what has been happening over the many years and certainly when it came to the hemp plant. Uh, again, there's a very rich literature on that. We can, we can get into that uh, at some other time, but I really do think that in North Carolina, because of the experience in growing tobacco, because of uh, the good amount of sun uh, compared to Austria, at least, uh, that you know we have in North Carolina, there actually is a really good uh, base to start a, a kind of hemp uh, industry in our state. And I, I would really hope to see that happen. The interview that we have with Jeff Whaling uh, will be on Consumer Choice Radio. I learned so much from there. 
and uh, you know he's he's one of the the main businessmen leading this revolution. So yeah, we're looking forward to that. Yeah, I think uh, a long time coming and starting to gain some traction outside of uh, you know the legalization or even the decriminalization of uh, you know marijuana possession. Of course, uh, that contains the chemical that gets you high. Uh, the benefits of uh, hemp across various platforms, of course, it would create vast competition to, uh, through number of industries if we were to uh, embrace it uh, like, uh, well, our founding fathers did many, many moons ago when there might have not been, you know, all of the different uh, uh, types of uh, products that uh, do everyday things the way hemp did for people a long, long time ago. And you mentioned uh, William Randolph Hearst. If you ever get to California, Central California in the Central Valley, Hearst Castle, on just off Highway 1 there, which is the most scenic route, I think, of all of the country as far as beauty goes, natural beauty. Hearst Castle is a place to go visit, uh, as I did many years ago. Cool spot. Yael, among other things that uh, are up for discussion this week, of course, uh, President Trump, uh, you know, for better or worse, uh, looks like uh, you know he's going to be on the outside looking in come uh, the middle of next month. Uh, but as we kind of look back at the last four years that, that were, uh, from a consumer standpoint, uh, and that is what you focus on, a consumer choice, uh, wh where does President Trump stack up in some of the things that he did to either promote or take away from the choices we have as Americans? I, I think uh, many people would be very disappointed to hear that actually the Trump era for consumer choice was pretty good. Uh, there was a lot of significant improvements. Uh, some things did decline, but if we're looking at things that did improve, I mean, look at it. We had the repeal of net neutrality. We had repeal of this terrible law uh, that I've been talking to you about forever, Joe, the idea that you can just take all of the innovativeness of the Internet and regulate it like it's some phone monopoly. Uh, that, that was just a terrible idea, a terrible notion of the Obama administration. Thankfully, Trump and Ajit Pai over there at the FCC were able to get rid of that. And then also just thinking about, you know, small uh, changes that they were able to make in the tax code. I mean, just think of the stock markets, the amount of disposable income that people had now to buy what they wanted. But I do think there are some areas where Trump fell short and could have done a lot more. You know, we could have had a lot more competition in healthcare. We could have had much more of an embrace of alternative models of delivery like direct primary care or concierge medicine. Uh, there's definitely a lot more that could have been done when it comes to trade. Uh, I think in a freer direction, less tariffs, more free trade to help reduce prices for everyone. And related to hemp, I think Trump could have really solidified his reputation had he signed a bill to legalize cannabis in our country. I think that was a missed opportunity. Uh, something that he definitely could have done, should have done, and uh, you know maybe he'll go back and regret it because that's something that inevitably Joe Biden or Kamala Harris are going to do in this administration. So that that's a it's kind of a, a you know share uh, a share of what could have been with uh, President Trump. But uh, regardless, you know overall when it comes to consumers and their wallets, you know apart from uh, the terrible pandemic in front of us, the Trump era wasn't too bad. That's not talking about. His attitude, that's not talking about what he's tweeting. It's not talking about anything else. It's talking about the administration. It's talking about how government was run the last couple of years. Taxes were lowered. People had more disposable income. You had less unemployment. I think overall that was a very good thing. So uh, I don't know if people will recognize that or they're going to focus on the personality, but it's something that we do have to be frank and honest about. Two quick things on that. Uh, when we talk about health care, uh, you know, 
he of course yields a ton of power from uh, you know the, the bully pulpit as the top executive in the country but congress of course would need to move forward with a lot of these different things and uh, Democrats want to move more towards socialized medicine and maybe even a single care a payer type of system. Uh, Republicans uh, seem to not want to do anything except make a lot of noise about all of this. So even if he were to, you know, advocate for this, that or the other, do you think he would have been able to make any movement there, given the fact that, uh, well, for the first two years, still in the Senate, you needed that 60 vote threshold do you think if he was able to at least come out with a, a better detailed plan on how we can get away from uh, what is health care now to what it should be and could be, uh, would he make any impact on that front? Or was that just a losing battle either way and didn't want to fall on that type of sword? Well, Joe, I think you underlined the, the main problem that comes out of D.C. is there are a lot of detailed plans, and uh, most of these don't work. <laughs> uh, so I would I would have been very skeptical of a large overhaul of of basically anything. I think in our modern era and the way the government works and the number of representatives, we're not really going to have any overhaul of anything. Um, and that's that's sad because we have a lot of debt. We have a lot of deficits. We do have a lot of issues around the country. But, you know, do I think he would have been able to do anything, you know, very large, big scale? No. Um, but then again, the president does have a lot of power in certain areas, uh, certainly with executive orders. And surely when it comes to how regulations are enforced, that's a power that you know a lot of people are, are able to understand a little bit with some some things he did on immigration, uh, but really the president ha- does have a lot of discretion when it comes to how laws are enforced. If we remember the Obama administration, they stopped going after uh, many non-criminal, especially uh, drug-related offenses for a little while, and that was at the discretion of uh, the president and many executive agencies. That's something that Trump could have done very well. Um, you know, you can always enforce more competition. I think that's really easy to do. But it is true. You would not have had a large scale plan. Not that there was any plan. And, and that's really unfortunate. I know Paul Ryan had talked early on uh, about some kind of great, you know, free market focused healthcare reform that, that could be introduced. And it's not about introducing an entirely new system. It's all about just increasing competition and allowing more people to enter the marketplace and for us as consumers to have lower prices. That's really all you need. You don't need to have a grandiose plan. Uh, you don't need to have it you know, brought down from the angels. It's just something that's very simple, something that all of us can understand, more competition, more ability to compete, lower prices for all of us, and more choice. It works with computers. It works with all technology. It works with our jobs and everything we do. I don't understand why we cannot take that same principle and apply it to health care in our country. Well, a lot of politicians uh, with uh, folks who have their hands in their pockets, meaning uh, the lobbyists who are very powerful and influential in Washington, D.C., of course, have the ears of our elected officials, uh, which, in my estimation, is uh, one of the biggest reasons why we don't move forward on many issues. Uh, too many people are going to lose out and lose a piece of their uh, cut if, in fact, uh, we move more towards a consumer-based and friendly and competition-based system when we talk about health care or many other uh, topics uh, that uh, face our society here in relation to the influence uh, government has uh, over them. Uh, and also on the trade thing, you know, for many, many years, North Carolina, you know, saw it as many of their manufacturing plants uh, were uprooted and taken overseas and elsewhere. Many people, of course, even those same people who advocate for free and fair trade say, you know, we've been getting uh, stu- we've been getting stuck to for too long. And, uh, you know, maybe this was one way 
by implementing tariffs. Not that it created more free trade or anything, but it did rework some deals uh, when we talk about uh, you know fair trade with uh, Mexico, Canada, and elsewhere, where trade has uh, you know become. Uh, more freely, maybe not China, for instance, but uh, you know, for those free market folks that kind of get caught in the rock and the hard place there, you know, they advocate for free, fair trade, hasn't necessarily been free and fair for a long time, so tariffs was one way the president, at least in his eyes, saw we could level the playing field. You know, as a person who advocates for consumer choice, of course, that's not the way you would have uh, moved. But with that said, you know, what would be the ultimate consumer choice, uh, fair, free trade deal that would have brought you know, China to the table, among others, that have been sticking to us uh, for decades? Wow, Joe, with the punch to the gut. Uh, I, I think really in this, the the best free trade agreement that you can have is one in which there's nothing written on paper that enforces any, you know, different relationship than you or I if we were to trade in, in Wilmington and I lived in New Bern, North Carolina. I think we complicate things whenever we have free trade deals. They're obviously necessary in today's age because you have different questions about standing and jurisdiction and future lawsuits and environmental regulation. Uh, but I think the simpler is always going to be the better solution. You know, it's something that uh, defined things between Canada, Mexico, and the United States for many years under NAFTA. Uh, things were obviously a bit regimented, and you did have uh, NAFTA. But, you know, the, the best way to do it is to do just like the United Kingdom is doing right now. They're hopping all over the world. They're signing free trade agreements that aren't very large documents. These are not grandiose plans. They're just agreements to allow trade and to lower customs duties for both countries. That's really all you need. Obviously, when it comes to illegal activity, when it comes to stealing of intellectual property, when it comes to cyber threats uh, like we have from the Chinese Communist Party, that's very different, and that really does need a lot of scrutiny. But I think we could have simplified that a lot. Uh, there, there's a lot of talk about the, the deal-making and the deals that went back and forth. Uh, really, it's only going to be you know five to ten years before we really understand how those have panned out. Uh, hopefully, we can just, in that time, have more innovation and uh, lower prices a bit, and I think we'll all be better off, but it's still going to take some time to, to really see that government policy. Most of these things do take some time to implement, uh, but that time is now, and I guess we got plenty of time to wait here in our living rooms, don't we, Joe? And uh, with that said, I think everything in life, uh, if particularly when we talk about government, simple is better for everyone. That uh, would resonate with uh, many people tuned into this program right now and others who, who advocate for you know, limited government, more individual and personal freedoms and liberties. Yael, as we part ways... Uh, and uh, I know we didn't get to everything this morning because, uh, you know, very in-depth uh, conversations here with our friends at the Consumer Choice Center. As you get ready for Christmas a week away, you, you know, you're in lockdown mode still over in Vienna. Uh, what's the uh, what's on the menu? What What is uh, up uh, for the Asowski family as you move into uh, you know a Christmas time? Uh, what is this will be your third Christmas with uh, your little daughter? Uh, no, this is just the second one with her. But uh I guess, uh, you know, get a little bit of insight for the listeners, Joe, uh, as we close here. Uh, here, they don't have Santa Claus. Uh, here, it's the baby Jesus who brings the presents. Nothing better than that. So the baby Jesus, the Christkind, will be uh, bringing the presents on the evening of the 24th. Uh, so we'll be celebrating that, but we'll also bring in Santa Claus. We're going to have a nice little multi-coltai uh, celebration here. So Santa Claus will be there. The baby Jesus will be bringing the gifts decorating the tree, and then we're going to be smoking some fish for the 25th. 
Walt, uh, as uh, Governor Cuomo, because uh, I got a meme just the other day from our Emmy award-winning governor of the state of New York, because uh, Italians, as they call them down here, Italians uh, have a big uh, feast of fish, in fact, uh, seven dishes of fish uh, on uh, Christmas Eve, uh, but uh, through executive order, uh, Governor Cuomo said that we can only have three dishes this year, not the seven uh, fishes uh, during our annual feast on Christmas Eve. Uh, so if you were to pick three fish that you would be frying up or smoking or cooking you know, this Christmas time, what would they be? Whoa, I'm going to get some salmon. Uh, I'm going to get some nice trout if I can. And then, um, geez, for my last one, I'm just going to have to be North Carolina, South Carolina pride and get me some catfish. No doubt. Some fried catfish. Uh, that would be an interesting one to bring to the uh, Catanachi table on Christmas Eve. <laughs> that would be coming out of nowhere, actually. Yeah, yell. have a Merry Christmas, my friend, and we'll catch up in the new year. Thanks so much for all you do and the support that you give us here at The Big Talker. Thank you very much, Joe. Merry Christmas to you and all the listeners. Great to have Yael Lasowski in the Consumer Choice Center, a part of the program tomorrow morning. He and Dave Clement will be on the air at 10 o'clock in the a.m. right here on the Big Talker FM as part of their Consumer Choice radio program.